Welcome back to Truth for the Times podcast. I'm your host, Reverend Mickey Havard. We're glad to have you with us. Listen to a message today entitled, Making a Few Adjustments by Brother Harold Hanks. Hope you enjoy and God bless you. Ephesians chapter number 5 this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin reading there in verse number 14. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 14. Come back this evening, 5 o'clock, bring somebody with you. You know, I, I, I thought about that. Uh, we say that all the time, don't we? Don't we? Preachers say that all the time. Come back tonight and bring somebody with you. And guess what we do? We come back tonight, but we never bring anybody with us. Amen. So uh, let's do what the preacher said. What do you say? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. If you're there, say amen. Paul is writing to a Pentecostal church, and that's us, isn't it? Wherefore he saith, God says, this is the Lord speaking, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Oh, wow. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We can be fools or we can be wise men, can't we? Redeeming the time, and then he gives us a reason, because the days are, what? Now, I, I know he wrote that 2,000 years ago, and that doesn't apply to us today, does it? I think it does. Are the days evil? Yeah, they're worse. Hallelujah. Verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then he said, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I read that, and I, I, I want to preach a little different this morning, if the Lord will help me. And uh, I, I think that we need this. I really do. And the Lord uh, gave it to me last week. And I'm just going to obey the Lord and preach what he laid on my heart. I'm going to preach this morning on this thought, making some adjustments. Making some adjustments. Would you <coughs> Excuse me. Making some adjustments. You know, we just began a new year a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know about you, but I love New Year's. And uh, the reason I love New Year's is because I need to, I, I get to hit the reset button. <laughs> Amen. I get to start over. I get a brand new clean slate. Think about that. I, I don't know about you, but I, I love that. I think that everybody here is probably, probably pretty happy about that. Why? Because some of us didn't do everything we should have done last year. We made some mistakes, didn't we? And we wish we would have done things a little bit differently than we did them. We wish we could 
all have a fresh start when we get one. God has given us a brand new year and a brand new start. Now the problem is if we're going to keep from making the same mistakes this year that we made last year, then we're going to have to make some adjustments. Adjustments. Albert Einstein, he wasn't too brilliant, you know. He was one of them dummies. But he gave us the definition of insanity. I thought it was interesting. He said insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Hallelujah. Man, that's insanity. I mean, you're doing the exact same thing and hoping it's going to be different. We all are guilty of that, aren't we? We've all done that, haven't we? We just keep doing the same thing over and over again and we're hoping that there's something that's going to change, but it doesn't do that. Sometimes we just need to make some adjustments, don't we? We need to tweak things a little bit. Over the holidays, I rarely get to watch any television. There ain't much on it to watch anyway, but I do love sports, and I never, ever, hardly ever get a chance to watch any of that. Over the holidays, got to watch a little football, and for me, that was a treat. And I was watching a game, and it wasn't very good. I mean, it was one of them that you're thinking, "Oh man, here we go. Might as well just forget it." Because at halftime, it was twenty-eight to nothing, and the the losing coach was coming off the field. And you know how the reporters are. It, it was a, a lady by the name of Michelle, and she got. She grabbed the coach and she said, Coach, I noticed things aren't going too good for you in the first half. What do you think? He said, I think I'm going to have to go in the locker room and we're going to make a few adjustments and we're going to be okay. And I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, right. You're losing 28 to nothing, buddy. And you're going to make a few adjustments and everything's going to be all right. I said, oh, man, I had a hard time believing that. But I'm going to tell you, he went into that locker room. They made some adjustments and they came out, honey, they played like a totally different team in the second half, and they ended up winning that game. I mean, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, look at that. And the Spirit of God began to touch my heart, and he gave me those words again. He said, we need to make a few adjustments, a few adjustments. Do you realize, church, that we've done the same thing over and over and over again, and we've got the same results? We need to make some adjustments. And I believe if we'll do that in this new year, that God is going to come and God is going to help us and God is going to do some miraculous things for us in this new year. Hallelujah. You see, if we're going to win at this game of life, if we're going to make it to heaven, then some of us may need to make some adjustments because as I travel as an evangelist, I'm finding out that the world is winning in most people's lives. The flesh is winning in most people's lives. And the devil is winning in most people's lives. And if, they're not, if they don't make adjustments, they're just going to lose out with God. So in our text this morning, Paul here is right writing to the church at Ephesus. Now he's concerned about their game plan. He's worried about their game plan. I mean, he, he, he looked at it, he saw what was happening, and he made a few suggestions as to making a few adjustments in their lives. And I think they apply to us this morning. He is saying if we're going to make it to heaven and if God is going to work in our lives, the first thing we do is we need to make a, an adjustment in our posture. Look at verse 14 again. Wherefore he saith, God saith, awake thou 
that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. He said that instead of sleeping, we need to wake up. And instead of lying down, we need to get up. Hallelujah. I thought, oh, wow, that is some good advice. That would make a great adjustment. You see, we have a lot of folks this morning that are asleep. They need to wake up and they need to get up and they need to get going for the Lord. You see, every sinner in the world is asleep. That's just the way it is. Actually, there are two things. They're sleeping and they're, they're dead in trespasses and in sin. And they need to wake up and they need to get up. Somebody say amen. That's where they're at. The, the God of this world has blinded their minds and the God of this world has rocked them to sleep and they need to wake up and get up. You know, I, I don't understand it really. It's hard for Brother Hanks to comprehend the uh, people being lost because if you can just look at one newscast, if you just pick up one newspaper and read it, it, it seems to me that everybody could see what's going on and everybody would want to get right with God. Every time I look at a newscast every time I read the, the news there's something in there brother Donnie that's pointing to one thing and that is Jesus is about to come again Wow. And so how in the world do sinners read that and look at that and continue to live in sin? There's only one answer. The God of this world has blinded their minds and they are sound asleep. If you're here this morning and you're a sinner, then you better wake up. I heard, I read some time ago about a farmer and his alarm clock went crazy one morning and it struck 13 o'clock and he jumped up and started running through the house screaming to the top of his lungs wake up wake up it's later than it's ever been before I thought man that's what I want to do as a preacher I want to go everywhere brother Donnie and I want to scream to the top of my lungs wake up wake up it's later than it's ever been before everything is pointing to the coming of the Lord and if the sinner doesn't wake up, they're going to be left behind. But then, as an evangelist of 36 years, there's something else that I've been noticing, and that is not only are sinners asleep, but some of God's saints are asleep. As a matter of fact, the, I, I was just riding down the road processing it. As the Lord was dealing with me about this message last week, I, I was just riding down the road, and I, I, I got to thinking about pastors. What is the number one complaint of pastors about their people? Hands down, I, I knew immediately what it was. The, the, the number one complaint of pastors is, I wish I could get get my people to wake up. Wow. 
think about that. The number one complaint is, I wish I could get my people to wake up. You see, the problem is that the devil has kind of rocked us to sleep. He's gotten us into a place of spiritual complacency. and We're satisfied with where we are. We're just coming to church and we're just sleeping right on through it. Amen. You say, well, Brother Hanks, how can you say that? Well, just look around you. Just look around. Look at our nation. Look look at America this morning. And uh, morally, uh, we're, it's just crumbling all around us. And what are we doing? We're sleeping on. Amen. Because, see, if you look at history, every time the church was powerful, so was the nation. But when the church died, the nation died with it. Come on. Amen. And we blame the problems in America on Obama. We blame it on the Congress and the Senate. But the real problem in America isn't the president. It isn't the Congress and the Senate. The real problem is the church. The church has failed to be salt and light. The church has failed to be alive and vibrant and on fire. The church has failed to have any effect on society but instead society is affecting the church until we reverse that trend, until we make that adjustment then there's no hope for America. The only hope we have is a revival. I mean we can't even get church folks to vote. Come on, amen. Do you realize that in the last election, 68% of evangelical Christians didn't vote? You know what we did? We handed America over to the liberals. We gave it to them on a silver platter. Amen. And now we fuss, don't we? I mean, I get aggravated at what Obama's doing. I wish I could boot him out of America. I wish I could send him back to Kenya where he came from. But listen, we allow that to happen because we couldn't see what was really going on. We were sound asleep. Look at it economically. Our economy's in shambles in America. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. And what are we doing? We're sleeping on. There seems to be absolutely no outcry at all. We're not praying any harder. We're not doing anything. We're about to crash and nobody's doing nothing about it. I saw a grave reminder of that last Last week, the week before last now, they, the, the new report has come out, and it was the report on food stamps. Food stamps. They say in the last five years, food stamp uh, uh, distribution has almost doubled. Almost doubled. Think about that. That tells me the economy is bad. But is the church aroused about that? Are they upset about that? Are they doing anything about that? The answer is no. Nothing seems to move us anymore. We just go on about our business. Church, let me tell you something this morning. It's time to wake up. I just hate to tell you that, especially on the first morning, because I, I, you know, I do want you to come back. But I'm just going to tell you, church, somebody needs to wake up. Everywhere I've been going, I've been preaching that. God help us to wake up. Help us to do things differently. We can't pray like we always pray. We got to go beyond that. We can't fast like we've been fasting. We got to do more of that. We can't even 
can't be it regular at the house of God like we've been. We got to be more regular. We've got to go beyond what we're doing. We've got to get stirred up. We've got to wake up. We've got to get up. And we've got to get involved because if we don't, there is no hope for America. Hallelujah. And so Paul said, uh, folks, you need to uh, adjust that. Make a, a little adjustment. Second, he said, you need to adjust your walk. Look at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And so what he's saying to them is, I, I checked you out a little, and you need to adjust your walk. You need to get it straightened out. Notice he urges them to walk circumspectly. Uh, the word circumspectly here is interesting in the Greek. It literally comes from two different Greek words, and it means looking, looking around. Now, you are not so much, uh, 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 you don't do that very often like I do, and uh, but I, I, I really uh, am good at that. And the reason I'm good at that is because I take teams to the mission field. Hundreds and thousands of people I've taken overseas, and I'm in charge. And if you take a group to the mission field and you are in charge, I just got back from Nicaragua, and I had 26 others with me that were 27 counting me. And if you take uh, 26 people with you, and uh, half of them are more are teenagers, young people, you learn to look around because uh, there's some dangerous places in the world. And so uh, one of the uh, young ladies that goes with me quite often, she said to me the other night, uh, said, uh, if you want to know about taking care of people, go with Brother Hanks. He'll teach you. She said, I never used to worry about it because uh, I went with him, but said he worried about everything. He was constantly watching everything. And she said, now I catch myself doing the same thing. Said everywhere I'm going, I'm looking around. But you have to be careful, and uh, that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, as uh, believers, uh, we need to be on guard. Uh, we need to always be looking around. Now, I thought it was interesting, at least uh, as I was looking into this and studying. I thought it was interesting that he said that after he talked in the the verse before about sleeping. He connected them. Isn't that something that he connected them? He he said, you're sleeping and you need to watch your walk. In other words, what he was saying is they're sleepwalking. Think about that. And man, that just struck me, Brother Donnie. He's talking about sleepwalkers. Paul's saying they're, they're sleepwalking. Amen. And he's saying you need to wake up. You know why? Because if you're sleepwalking, you don't know what's going on around you. You don't know what's happening around you. You're oblivious to everything. And so Paul was saying to them, listen, you better wake up. You're going to run into the wall. You're going you're gonna to get hurt. Something's going to happen. I think that we need to do that in the church today, don't you? We need to wake up and we need to walk. And then Strong's is, is interesting because it takes that word circumspectly a little bit further and uh, it defines it uh, and uh, it, it, this is what Strong says it means to walk carefully with exactness or perfectness wow I read that I, my mind went to running see this coming May I'll be saved 40 years I got saved when I was 19 
just a week before I turned 20, I got saved. That's been almost 40 years ago. Boy, I tell you, things surely have changed in 40 years in the church. Boy, when I got saved, whoo I mean, they preached perfection, 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 perfection. They skin your hide. Did they? Oh, I'd go to church and they would just skin my hide. You know, understand that term? I mean, they would just pour it on me. And uh, you know what? I never did get mad. Never did. You know what I got? I got right. And I would go to that altar, and I'd squall and bawl, and I'd beg God to help me. And, and I'd say, you may get me again, but it ain't going to be on the same limb. I'm moving up. Now, uh, we have preachers today, you know, they don't ever talk about perfection. All they preach is, well, I know you got to sin every day, and I know we live in a carnal world and all of that. I want to tell you, Paul said to them, you better wake up, and you better look at the way you're walking. You need to walk exactly. You need to walk perfectly. You need to... Adjust your walking, amen. Now, I know we may not have arrived, but Paul's saying you better be headed in that direction. Today, we're seeing how close to the world we can live and still have God, how much of the world we can possess and have Christ. The answer is none. Paul said you better quit sleepwalking and you better start walking exactly or rightly. Hallelujah. I love it because uh, I was reading last week and, uh, and I, I just came across this verse and it thrilled my heart and it, and it, it went along with the message and I just uh, put it in there. I mean, God bless me. I, in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, uh, notice what he said. He that walketh uprightly walketh surely. Surely. And I just, man, that just got a hold of me, and I got to digging in that. And the word uprightly here has the exact same meaning that the word circumspectly has in our text. It means to walk perfectly. But notice, the, 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 the writer couples it with a promise. With a promise. He that walketh uprightly walketh surely. The word surely here literally means securely. Securely. You see, I believe in eternal security. Amen. Uh oh, I, I lost of you right there. I believe in eternal security. I do not believe in unconditional eternal security, but I believe in eternal security. I believe that if I walk uprightly, I am going to be secure. In other words, God is going to take care of me. I'm not going to have to worry about backsliding every week. I'm not going to have to worry about the world taking me under. I'm not going to have to worry about the devil destroying me because when I walk up uprightly. God said I walk securely. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm telling you, if we'll just wake up and if we'll just make a few adjustments and walk the way God wants us to walk and live the way God wants us to live, there's not enough devils in hell to take us down. We can have revival. We can have a move of God. We can see miracles. We can have whatever we want if we'll just make a few adjustments 
adjustment. Somebody help me preach. Hallelujah. And then Paul said we need to not only adjust our walk, but he, we, he says we need to adjust our focus. Look at the next verse. He said redeeming the time. And then he tells us why. For the days are evil. Think about that now. The word redeeming here literally means to buy up or to rescue from loss. Don't let it be lost. Don't let it be lost. Thayer's Greek lexicon had an interesting comment. I wrote it down. It says it means to make a wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. You see, the problem with us today is too many of us are focused but it's on the wrong thing. We're focused, but it's on the wrong things. We're focused on making a living, and you know, we're focused on our hobbies. We're focused on making more money. We're focused on having a bigger house or a better car or all of that stuff. But that's not what God wants us to be focused on. We're wasting our time doing frivolous things instead of doing the will of God. Think about that. We are spending our time doing frivolous things instead of the will of God. We're doing things that have no eternal value. That's dangerous. Very dangerous. Paul said, man, you, you've got to get your focus right. And he said you need to do that because the days are evil. They've never been any more evil than there is right now. Think about that. You better do that because if you don't, you're going to lose out with God. We need to get our focus where it needs to be. We need to get our focus on the things that are really important, on the spiritual things. And then he couples that in the next one. Not only do we need to get our focus right, he said, but you need to adjust your understanding. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what, what? The will of the Lord is. The word understanding here is just a real simple word. It means to put two and two together. We, we're familiar with that, aren't we? I mean, we know what that means. If I say to Brother Davis, uh, I, I put two and two together, then what does he think? He says, well, he knows then. He understands. That's what it means. That's what the word means. He said, we need to understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to put it together. We need to put two and two together. Amen. If I put two and two together, then I understand what he's talking about. What is God talking about? The will of God. Amen. I need to understand what the will of God is. Now, let me just say something about the will of God real quick. There's two things about the will of God we need to know. Number one, God has a general will for all of us. For instance, let me give you an example. A, a general will of God is it's not His will that any perish, but that all come to repentance. So, so that is a general will of God. He doesn't want anybody, any of us, to be lost this morning. He wants everybody generally to be saved. 
Amen. He wants everybody to do that. So that is the general will of God. But God not only has a general will for my life, He has a specific will for my life and your life. He wants me to do something specifically for Him. He has called me and gifted me to do something specifically for Him. The trouble in the church today is that we rarely find what God's specific will for us is. So we live in the general will of God and we never do what He really wants us to do. I, 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 I Let me illustrate that. I, I had a very unusual thing happen to me recently last year. As you know, I, I work in 45 countries of the world, so I get around, and I take groups with me, and we minister. We do just about everything you can think of. We preach. We build. We work in orphanages. We do medical missions. We just do a little bit of everything. We do humanitarian relief, everything you can think of, we do it. And I take groups with me to do that. And I, I had a lady from a church in North Carolina. She called me. She has supported me in missions $100 a month for probably the last six or seven years, maybe longer than that, for a long time. And she called me up one day and she said, Brother Hanks, I, I would really like to go on a mission trip. And I did the unspeakable. I asked her how old she was. Now, you don't ask ladies how old they are, but I did. I did the unspeakable. And I said, sis, how old are you? She said, I am 78. Uh, okay. And you want to go on a mission trip? <laughs> yes, sir, I would, Brother Hanks. I, I need to go. I said, you need to go? I said, yeah, I need to go. I said, why do you need to go? She said, and she started crying. Oh, I offended her, man. I just tore me up. And she's squalling on the other end. And I said, Sister Eden, if I didn't mean to, to hurt your feelings, no, 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 no. She said, all of my life, since I was a little bitty girl, the Lord spoke to me and told me he wanted me to missionary and said all of my life I knew what God wanted and said, here I am. I'm lady now and I've never ever been anywhere and done anything on the mission field and then she said Brother Hanks, I want to go one time before I die wow about two months before the trip she called me she said Brother Hanks I'm sorry I'm not going to be able to go she said, I've got neuropathy in my legs and I can barely walk now and I spend most of my time in a wheelchair. Now, I know you're just going to let that pass over your head, but I want to make a point right here. She spent her whole life doing what she wanted to do instead of what God wanted her to do. She came to the end and was going to try to just do a little bit of God's will. But she waited so long. She wasn't even able to do that. Now let me ask you a question. How is it going to go for her on the day of judgment? See, that's what we forget sometimes. 
we are going to have to stand before God and we're going to have to do what? Give an account. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 7, 21, that not everyone that says to him, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the, the what? The will of my Father, which is in heaven. So the most important thing in my life is the will of God. I have to live in His general will. Thank God for that because if He hadn't included me in salvation, I'd be in hell this morning. But He included me in His general will. I came to Him for salvation and when I did, then I had to ascertain what the perfect will or the exact will of God was for my life and then I have to do that just like you. And if I do that, then I'm going to go to heaven. But if I don't, I'm going to be left. Pretty heavy for Sunday morning, isn't it? Good way to start revival because we need to find God's will for our lives. Now, let me just go on. I don't have time, but I'm gonna I just feel the Holy Ghost. Now I, I want to just take that one step further. If you continue reading there in chapter 7 of Matthew, he goes on down in some verses and he says, uh, in that day they'll say, did we not cast out devils and prophesy in thy name and do uh, many mighty works? And then he said, yet will I say unto them, I never knew you. I read that and, oh, I'd read it before, but it just, it, it just came alive to me. It stunned me. Brother Davis, it stunned me. And I stopped and I backed up and I read it again. And I said, wait a minute, hold on. You mean you got folks that are working miracles, casting out devils, healing the sick, doing mighty things, and Jesus said to them, I never knew you. That's what he said. You see, you can do all of that, but if that's not God's specific will for your life, he has no clue about you. You're just doing stuff. The church has relegated itself today to doing stuff. But we never find the specific will of God for our lives. Somebody say amen. That, my friend, is going to be very dangerous on the day of judgment. And last, Paul said that we need to make some adjustments in our spiritual life. Look at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Ooh. Woo, but be filled with the Spirit. Man, Pentecostal folks ought to shout a little right there. Hallelujah. I'm glad that I am full of the Holy Ghost. Come on, say amen. You see, you cannot properly, powerfully, or fruitfully do the work of God and the will of God without the Holy Ghost. To Jesus and Paul, the Holy Ghost was not optional. He was not optional. He was mandatory. It should be no different today. Paul was saying you need to be filled with 
with the Spirit of God. Now, if you could read that in the Greek, you would realize that it is in the present tense imperative. I know that's big words, but let me just explain them to us country folks. Amen. To me, my little peanut brain. It's in the present tense imperative in the Greek. In other words, Paul is saying you need to be filled. The word is in present tense. So he's talking about right now. In other words, Paul is saying right now I need to be filled with the Spirit. Every moment of my life I need to be filled with the Spirit. And then it's in the imperative tense. In other words, it's imperative that that happen. It's absolutely necessary that I be filled right now with the power of the Holy Ghost. I read the other day in the Assemblies of God, there are more or less, Mosulmanus, three million members. But out of that three million members, only 82,000 of them actually claim to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you a little secret? Jesus and Paul would have had a problem with that. Did, wasn't it Jesus that said to the to the to the, the those on that Bethany hillside that day? The Bible tells us in Corinthians above five hundred of them were there. Was it not Jesus that said to them, "You don't go anywhere and you don't do anything until you are endued with power from on high." In other words, get full of the Holy Ghost before you try to do anything for me. And isn't it Paul in our text telling you and I that we need to be filled with the Spirit in the present tense? Constantly, we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Today, we're trying to do in the flesh all to be done in the Spirit church. If you would have taken the baptism of the Holy Ghost out of it, 95% of what they did would have halted immediately. But in the modern day church, if you take the Holy Ghost out, 95% of what we do would go on. But Paul is saying, if you're going to have revival, if you're going to be effective, if you're going to do the will of God, then get full of the Holy Ghost, find out what God's will is, and do it. Hallelujah. Amen. I thought, oh God, that is wonderful advice for a new year. That is wonderful advice for me. That is wonderful advice for the body of Christ. We need to get there. You see, the power of the Holy Ghost is what makes us different than the average one in the bill show. I read last week, and I'm closing. Somebody come to the piano. I read last week of a young lady, and uh, she was intrigued with ghosts. She wanted to find ghosts. So she just just went all over the place looking for ghosts. But what she finally ended up finding wasn't ghosts. It was demons. It was demons. And it literally scared the daylights out of her. I mean, buddy, she about had a fit. And it scared her so bad that she went to the church and was born again. She got saved. Amen. And, and somebody asked her what caused her to do that. And she told 
them. I ran when I was looking for ghosts. They're not ghosts. They're demons. I ran into them and I was afraid. But said I knew, I knew that Jesus, that God was more powerful than those demons. And I wanted to serve him. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God. I'm telling you this morning, church, that the Holy Ghost is more powerful than every demon in this world. The Holy Ghost is more powerful than every devil in this society. If you and I get full of the Holy Ghost, He will help us. He will anoint us. He will give us boldness to do His work and His will. And in this revival, if we could just find God's will and if we could submit ourselves to His will, we could turn Wayne County upside down. We could turn this city upside down. All we need to do is make a few little adjustments and everything can be Elementary, they're watching elementary. It is. It is. Paul just said to the church at Ephesus, make a few adjustments. It'll be all right. You know what they did? They did what he asked. They did what he asked. They made a few adjustments. And guess what? History said that the church at Ephesus grew to 25,000 members. Do what? Yeah. The church at Ephesus grew to 25,000 members just by making a few adjustments. Boy, don't you think that would work in First Assembly in Waynesboro? I do. All we have to do is get where God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do, and we can have it. Stand with me all over this morning. Thank you for your attentiveness. Thank you for bearing with me today, making adjustments, making some adjustments. Thanks once again for listening for Truth for the Times podcast. Uh, you can contact us at First Assembly of God Waynesboro at gmail.com or on Facebook at First Assembly of God Waynesboro. Thanks for listening and God bless.